0: Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Irwin Ince. I'm a new pastor here on staff with the Grace DC Network of Churches. Started in January. I've served for the past uh, 11 years as a pastor of uh, City of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbia, Maryland, a church we planted back in 2000. And 7, and I'm just overjoyed to be in this new phase of ministry and serving here at Grace DC, and this morning I get the privilege of continuing our sermon series that uh, Pastor Russ has been leading you all in here, or I should say leading us in because I've been sitting in the pew uh, listening on the kingdom of God. It is a subject without question that was most on the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is incredible how much in the Gospels you find Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. And so this morning I want to continue this series by looking at parable of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and verses 36 to 43, Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and 36 through 43. I want to talk to you this morning on this subject the messy kingdom mixture, the messy kingdom mixture. And every time I preach, I try to have a theme, a simple, if you will, sentence that gets at the heart of what I want to say because I'm under no illusion. Every word I have to say, you will hear or even be able to respond to. And so hear this. This is the point of everything that I'm saying this morning, it is that faith in Jesus requires patient endurance. Faith in Jesus requires patient endurance because until He returns to set everything right, we will have a messy mixture of belief and unbelief in His kingdom. Faith in Jesus Christ, it requires patient endurance because until he returns to set everything right, we will have a messy mixture of belief and unbelief in his kingdom. Would you look with me at God's word? Starting in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13, reads this way. Matthew says, he put another parable before them saying, And then, verse 36, he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace." In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Thank you for your word, Lord, that is living and active, that is not dead, but it's sharp, sharper than any double-edged sword that pierces to the division of soul and spirit joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And our confession this morning, Lord God, is that we are all naked and exposed to you, the one to whom we must all give account. And so, Lord, that means you know precisely what we stand in need of this morning as we sit here before you. Would you be pleased in your grace and mercy to meet us where we are and give us precisely what we need, Lord, faith, correction, conviction, encouragement, joy, hope, peace, whatever it is, Lord, do it for the glory of your name and for the good of your people, that we would be people who live not for our glory, but for the praise of your name through Jesus Christ our King. Amen, amen, and amen. I'm sure that many of us in here are familiar with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail that he wrote in 1963. I was familiar with that letter, probably one of the most significant documents coming out of the Civil Rights Movement. I was familiar with it for most of my life, but it wasn't really until I became an adult that I paid any attention to the fact that this letter that he wrote from that jail in Birmingham, Alabama was actually a response to a letter that had been written to him by this coalition of Alabama clergymen on April 12, 1963. Their letter to him was a joint statement expressing their concern over a series of demonstrations by their Negro citizens which were directed by quote-unquote outsiders. They wanted strongly to urge their own Negro citizens to withdraw from supporting these demonstrations and to, quote, unite locally in working for, peacefully for a better Birmingham. In their statement, they wrote, they said, we recognize the natural impatience of people who feel that their hopes are slow in being realized. But we are convinced that these demonstrations are unwise and untimely. And in reply to their concern over the untimeliness of the demonstrations, Dr. King said, frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was, quote, well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I have heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This weight has almost always been never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. When you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time, he said, when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. I hope you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. A justice too long delayed is justice denied. A constant cry of the civil rights movement and even in protests you hear and see today is, what do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. Bearing under the weight of an intolerable situation for too long seems impossible. There comes a time when the cup of endurance seems to run over. For those of you who share my generation in terms of age, you might remember a Popeye the Sailor man who said, with not the same, quite, uh, quite the same eloquence as Dr. King, uh, that's all I can stand." and I can't stand no more. Almost 55 years removed from the writing of that letter, but we hear those words and they resonate. They resonate not simply because of Dr. King's eloquence, but because we know ourselves how hard it is to wait for something of immeasurable value. And I'm not really talking about material things, right, because you can't put a price on justice. In many respects, you cannot put a price on physical health. You cannot put a price on peace of mind. And when those things are lacking, it is hard to exhibit that fruit of the Spirit called patience. It is hard to wait. And yet, the nature of the kingdom of God is that there is a present reality and there is a future glory. Uh, there is, in other words, an already and uh, a not yet. And God calls us to live. In his kingdom, right now, in the present time, with a future glory in mind, life right now in God's kingdom means that there will always be a need to wait. We will always find ourselves waiting. And because of this reality, those who commit their lives to following Jesus Christ will often look very foolish in the eyes of those who do not. Our text today, Jesus focuses on the nature of God's kingdom in the here and now, right now in real life. And he explains it as a messy and unavoidable mixture of belief and unbelief. He knows, Jesus knows, that having to deal with evil is tiring. It makes you tired and impatient for things to get better and to stay better, having to deal with evil that is done by others and the evil that, yes, still resonates in our own hearts and comes out of ourselves at times. It it makes you tired and you just want things to get better, be better, and stay better. And yet, at the very same time, he implies the necessity of patient endurance for those who would follow him. In this parable, Jesus explains. He explains how the kingdom of heaven can be present in the world while not yet wiping out all opposition to that kingdom. So I want to talk about three things from this parable, from this passage. I want to talk to you this morning and share with you what Jesus says about the king, what Jesus says about the enemy, and what Jesus says about the kingdom. The king, the enemy, and the kingdom. And right, every, every kingdom uh, has a king, right? It wouldn't be called a kingdom if there were no king or queen. But every kingdom has a king. And in the kingdom of God, or as Matthew likes to say, in the kingdom of heaven, Uh, The king is God. And look at the identity of the king in this parable. This chapter in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, is just full of kingdom parables. And the parable that we're looking at is the second one in this chapter. And Matthew says in verse 24 that Jesus put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man Who sowed good seed in his field? Down in verse number 27, this man is called the master of the house. And then when Jesus and his disciples they go away from the crowds and they go into the house when they're in private and uh, the disciples say to Jesus in verse 36 explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field the first thing that Jesus does in his explanation is identify who the master is He says in verse number 37 the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. I'm the sower of the good seed. I am the master of the house, Jesus says, and the field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Not only am I the master, and the field that I'm talking about is not some little plot of land somewhere on earth. The field that I am talking about, the field that I own is the whole world. I am Lord and sovereign, not just over y'all, my disciples, the church, but over the whole world. And because the world belongs to me, I have the authority and I have the power to plant good seed in it. Now, like this is an obvious point. You don't need me to to actually tell you that, right? It's not uh, as you might Say uh, rocket science, all you have to do is read the text. It's right there. But here's why I'm pointing it out to you. You see, because Jesus is the king, uh, uh, the, the work that the devil is doing in this parable does not surprise him or discourage him. The enemy's work, it surprises and it discourages his people. Jesus said a man sowed good seed in his field. But then in verse 25, it says, while his men were sleeping... Uh, his enemy his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away and so when the plants came up and bore grain then the weeds appeared also right and the servants of the master of the house they come to him and they said master didn't you sow good seed in your field what's going on how is it that there are weeds in it When they see these weeds uh, uh, that have grown up with the, with the wheat, they ask the master, Where did these weeds come from? How did this happen? Do, do you want us to go and uproot the, the, the weeds so that the wheat can, can grow in peace? Did you notice? Did you notice in verse number 36 when the disciples asked Jesus a question? Did you notice that they say they didn't say they didn't say explain to us Jesus the parable of the wheat and the weeds in the field? They said, "No, Jesus, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field." On their minds, they weren't concerned with the wheat on their minds was the weeds. What are these weeds doing here and what did it mean? In his explanation down in verse number 38 and 39, Jesus says that the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Even though y'all were sleeping while he was doing his work, I know him. I wasn't asleep. And while he thinks that he has thrown me off course, the existence of weeds and wheat in my field together for a time is actually a part of my plan. So I will continue to plant children of the kingdom in the world until it is harvest time. At that time, Jesus says in verses 41 to 43, did you notice the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. And then the righteous, the, the, the wheat, they will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Does the kingdom belong to God the Father or does the kingdom belong to Jesus, God the Son? Well, the answer is Yes. Because Jesus Christ is equal in power and authority with God the Father, He can describe the kingdom as belonging to Him and belonging to the Father at the same time. So whether we like it or not, Jesus is the King of the world, and what that means is that every creature in the world owes its, its, its allegiance to Jesus. Every institution in the world owes its allegiance to Jesus. There is. Is nothing in this whole world that is irrelevant to his kingdom. There is nothing that falls outside of his authority. Uh, nothing in the world that he doesn't care about. You owe your allegiance to Jesus. Your company owes its allegiance to Jesus. Your business owes its allegiance to Jesus. Our government owes its allegiance to Jesus. I know that the church is not the state and the state is not the church. They have different roles and responsibilities, but they do not have different masters. Jesus is king and Lord over both. We are good at separating. We're good at As separating our religious life from work life, from community life, from social life, from family life, from recreational life, we try to make the realm of of religion and, and faith only private and personal. However, Jesus does not give us the option of sitting on that fence. In fact, the only option is to say he's not the king, and that would make him a liar. Clear from this passage that there's no middle ground. Even so, even so, even so, uh, Jesus is the king. Life now in his kingdom is messy because of the enemy's work. As I said, the enemy's work doesn't surprise Jesus in this parable in the least, but it does surprise his people and I know right? I know that not everybody will believe this truth. There was actually a time in my life that I didn't really believe it, uh, believe it, but, but the enemy is real. The devil is real. This is the second kingdom parable in Matthew chapter 13. And this is the second time Jesus talks about the enemy, the devil, in describing what the kingdom of God is like. The first parable he told was about the sower and the seed. In that parable, Jesus says in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, a sower went out to sow and some, some seeds He said, fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. And when he explained that parable to his disciples, he tells them in verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. He said, this is what was sown along the path. Part of the point that he's making is that every time the message of the kingdom is proclaimed, every time the message of the kingdom is preached, every time the good news about Jesus Christ is is preached, there is spiritual activity. And just like the king is actively planting good seed in his kingdom, the evil one is actively working to encourage unbelief by snatching the word from those who refuse to believe. That's why he ends all the parables. If you notice, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. So now, in this parable, the devil appears again. And this time, Jesus describes him as the chief enemy of God and the chief enemy of good. Make no mistake about it, he is real and he is actively working to encourage hostility and wickedness in the world and in the church. And just because it might be difficult for my sophisticated American ears to hear it and believe it don't mean it's not true. Verse number 28, after the servant's Ask about the weeds, the master says, an enemy has done this. And the sense of the, that that phrase that Jesus uses in the Greek text when he that's translated here as an enemy, the sense of that is a hostile man. A hostile man has Done this. The enemy of the kingdom is not friendly at all. He is hostile by nature and he seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's a liar and a deceiver. He tries to do his work under the cover of jo- darkness. And Jesus said he came at night while the people were asleep and not looking and he planted weeds among the wheat. What Jesus says about the evil one sowing. Weeds in the world is not new. Satan began doing this work way back in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Here's the thing though we might miss how crafty the enemy is if we're not paying attention. Yes, he comes at night and he sows weeds among the wheat seeds. But this is a specific weed that Jesus is talking about here in this parable. The weed that Jesus is talking about in this parable is a particular kind of plant that looks like wheat when it grows up. Listen, that's why the workers are so surprised. The weeds and the wheat would grow up together and look exactly the same. You couldn't tell the difference until they began to sprout, until they began to bear their fruit. In other words, the wheat plants would produce wheat, and this weed Jesus was talking about would produce nothing. That's why he says in verse 26 that when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Before that, you couldn't tell the difference. You see, the difficulty... For Jesus' disciples at that time who would not have questioned the existence of the devil was their difficulty was now that the Messiah has come, now that the Savior has come, now that the King has come, uh, how is it that he hasn't done away with the enemy and put an end to all evil? You, You see, that is the question that those who Follow Jesus always have to struggle with. And Jesus's lesson in this parable is it's not that simple, y'all. It's not that simple. I have a plan that might not make sense to you, but is ultimately for the benefit of my people. We we have the same impatience with evil. We, and we want things to get better soon. We see gun violence and gang violence. We see people at war and nations at war. We are tired of such overt evil, but I need you to just notice this with me, please. Jesus is talking here about a more subtle form of evil. He's talking about weeds that look like wheat. There are times in the Bible, and even with Jesus, that He speaks particularly about overt evil that his people have to deal with. He does so even earlier in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount when he says to his disciples, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of, uh, of evil against you falsely on my account. You're going to be reviled and persecuted. That's going to be overt, he says. But here he's talking about some subtleties. He's talking about undercover evil People who look like they're children of the kingdom, but they're not. They're really doing the they're really doing the enemy's work. This is hard, right? This is hard because there's a particular place in the here and now where you find weeds that look like wheat. Yes, indeed. It's in the church. It's in the church. When they ask him in verse 28 whether he wants them to go and gather, gather the, 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 the weeds, he says to them, no, no, lest in gathering the weeds you uproot the wheat also along with them. What would happen is the roots of the wheat and the roots of the weeds would intertwine in the earth together. And so you couldn't pull out the weeds without pulling out the the wheat as well. There couldn't be a separation until harvest time. There would be a harvest time, but life in God's kingdom right now is messy, not just because of all the overt mess, but because he's allowing weeds that look like wheat to remain. And he's allowing weeds that look like wheat to remain in his church. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? It's a question that I was asked a few years ago when I was teaching on this passage to a group of pastors in Kinshasa, Congo, when we had gathered for some theological training and they are dealing with an oppressive Regime in their country. They are striving hard. They're striving to, to feed children, educating children because the, the government doesn't really care right, about making sure that there's no real public education. So they're starting orphanages and, and school systems and meal programs and all of these things that they're doing in Jesus' name. And they, and, they, and they were hanging on these words saying, why would Jesus, we're doing all of this, why would he let weeds be a, in the midst of our work? Why would he do it? Why would he let that hostile man plant in that portion of his kingdom that's supposed to be committed to him, the church? Why would he let the enemy, the enemy mess with the church? Well, we talked about the king and we talked about the enemy. Let's look at the kingdom. Yes, the Kingdom that Jesus describes is not just the church, it's the entire world, and He's the King. What's more, He's the eternal King. He's on the throne right now. He's reigning right now. But what had escaped the disciples, what th- was the already and not yet aspect of the kingdom of God, the right now versus future glory aspect of the kingdom. What had escaped the disciples was the need to wait. The need to wait, the need to wait, the need to live right now pursuing righteousness and justice and faithfulness and and holiness, pursuing reconciliation and peace with patient endurance. They They missed it because they misunderstood the nature of life in God's kingdom. You're familiar with this Gospel of Matthew and the other Gospels, indeed. Do you remember when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness? You remember after his baptism, back. In Matthew chapter 4, Matthew tells us about the last temptation, says Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And the devil said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Well, what was the offer he was making? He was saying, Jesus, come on, get the glory now without any struggle. Get all the kingdom glory now without wrestling with and overcoming evil. But of course, Jesus would not take possession of what was rightly his without going through trial, without going through suffering, without going through death and resurrection. And so thus... Guess what? His people, the sons, the children of the kingdom, don't get to that future glory without the same resistance of evil by the power that he supplies. If you are in Jesus Christ, you don't get to future glory without the the fight and the press and the struggle against evil in the here and now. The harvest, Jesus says in verse 39, is the end of the age. But what what is the last words that that Matthew records in his gospel and chapter 28 coming out of Jesus' mouth? If you turn to chapter 28, you read it's Jesus saying to his disciples after his resurrection, I am with you always, To the end of the age, you press forward, following me, making disciples in the messy mixture of weeds and wheat. You're not going to be able to root out all the weeds. Don't worry about that. Just know that I'm with you in the middle of it. Jesus has to explain to them and to us what the kingdom of God is like because it's not what we expect. The disciples impatiently wondered, how is it possible for the kingdom to have come without at the same time making a permanent separation between the wicked and the good? And Jesus says that time of separation will come. I will indeed remove every cause of sin and lawlessness from my kingdom so those who reject me should not somehow think that they're off." The hook harvest time is coming and justice will be applied to those who reject me and that justice is nothing short of eternal punishment, the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And for those who have rejected self-righteousness for my righteousness will at that time so reflect the glory of God that they will shine like the sun. But until then, until then, patient endurance is required because Jesus is still at work sowing good seed in his kingdom. That's the point. That's the point. The harvest time hasn't come because Jesus isn't finished. It hasn't come because he's not finished. He's busy planting good seed in his kingdom. He's busy planting the gospel into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls all over the world and bringing them into the kingdom to the glory of God. And harvest time will not come until he is finished bringing every son and daughter that he has chosen into his kingdom. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean? What does that mean for us today? Let me leave you just with two implications. I wrap this up two implications for us today. The weeds and the wheat are growing together and they look alike. They couldn't tell the difference until they saw the fruit. Listen, it's not popular, but the Bible always calls us to self-examination. This is the sober warning part of, of the text. This is, if you were here, when Pastor Russ preached last week, this is the count the cost part of the text. The king... Because he is God, knows the hearts of all people and knows all those who belong to him, and every person has the responsibility to examine themselves as to whether they are in the faith. When the Apostle Paul, when he talks to the Corinthians about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, 28, he says to them, Listen, let a person examine himself then and, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, he says, To the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Now let's be clear, this examination is not some checklist of rules that I follow. This is an examination of my trusting in Jesus Christ. Is it, it is a, an examination of my sense, of uh, my own heart of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for my salvation uh, uh, and the change that he brings because of that, that trust. Do I find faith? Do I find confession and repentance? Do I find a, a, a sense of love for God and, and love for, for neighbor? And the point of the self-examination is actually the assurance of your faith. Here's a second implication. It's posed by one of the commentators I read. William Hendrickson says this about this passage. He says, let him take to heart the meaning of the parable, not only by being attentive, patient, hopeful, and trusting, but by also examining himself. And this to ask, not only am I represented by the wheat or by the tares, but also... Have I in my impatience forgotten to let both grow together until the harvest? Or am I willing to await patiently the decision of the Son of Man at harvest time? As people and organizations and governments and groups, etc., etc., blatantly disregard or operate in direct opposition to the word of God, Christians get angry and frustrated and rightly so. I ought not to be satisfied to just accept uh, first my own sin or even the sin that's around me. There's a problem if I take a oh well attitude to, towards the craziness of this world. It's not okay to reject Christ. It's not okay to disregard the law of God. But if this already not yet nature of the kingdom teaches us anything, it is the reality of enduring faithfully in a world that will not acknowledge that the kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but as we serve the Lord wherever we are, when the actions of others offend us, or when we find ourselves suffering For the faith, because the weed and the weeds are still mixed together, we learn from this text, listen, that there's only one true enemy and it's not the people who offend you. There's only one true enemy and it's not those who offend us or cause us to suffer. What this means is that the patient endurance that we're called to is expressed at least in part by our patience toward and our forgiveness of others. You see,, you see, the children of the king, the children of the kingdom are not the reapers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you ain't going to be doing no weeding. You're not pulling up any weeds. Jesus says that's the angel's job. It's not my job. it's not your job to do the, the weeding children of the kingdom are called to live by faith in the king and trust that the weeding will be done at harvest time. They're, they're not called. What, the children of the king and the kingdom are not called to, to kill the enemy or his seed. Listen, here's what understanding this messy kingdom mixture can do. Knowing that there is a future glory when the children of the kingdom will shine forth like the sun they will so reflect the radiance of their god that they will shine like the sun knowing that the person who might cause offense or even suffering is not my ultimate enemy knowing that from a kingdom perspective justice delayed is never really justice denied because the reason for the delay is that the king is still sowing good seed in his field knowing that this knowing that the lord uses these truths what it does is it gives us the great grace and patience we need to serve others to love others to love even those who might stand against us while we wait for this glory to come i implore you if you find yourself in Jesus Christ this morning, if you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, listen, this is meant to be a word of encouragement. We will never need or we will never stop having to have patient endurance. It will never be the case until glory that we will not need to endure patiently through the mess of life, in the church and in the world, outside of the church, until Jesus comes to set all things right, all things right. But the encouragement is what He has promised is He is with us in the midst of it. He is with us in the midst of the mess. The mess is a part of his plan. It has not caught him by surprise, and he has included you in it to strive forward until that day when you shine with the radiance of the glory of God in the kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the king of the kingdom. Thank you that no scheme of man, no power of the enemy is able to thwart your plan. Pray, Lord, for every heart and soul in here that we would be empowered by your spirit through faith in Jesus Christ for patient endurance until the day you return to set all things right. And we will be careful in that, to give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' holy name, amen.